0: Morning. You know, Pre- Proverbs three, five, and six says, "Trust the Lord with all your heart; lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will do what? He will direct your paths." And so we try to do that as people. We try to follow that, and then we encourage for those of us who have kids, we really encourage them to do the same thing. You know, pray and trust and believe, and just God has plans for you, and just you, you just got to put your eyes on God and just follow that. When He leads you, follow that and we encourage them to do that, then they do that and then stuff happens and then we wonder what happened how did this happen so I want to show you a video, we showed it last week but some of you probably didn't see it so I'm going to show it again one last time this is uh, what my 17 year old son has gotten me into
1: spring is in the air the flowers are blooming and northern virginia is filled with the sounds of birds And the Spring Jam Festival. On May 14th at Bull Run Regional Park, we're cracking it up with the sounds of P.O.D. From around the region, general admission tickets are just $15, but discounts for groups of 15 or more. The Spring Jam Festival, May 14th, P O D, Brian Head Welch, and Emory. For more information, go to springjamfest.com or find us on Facebook.
0: Tickets are available now on itickets.com. Okay. Uh, come on out, uh, fellas. This is my 17-year-old. The guy behind him is not my 17-year-old, but uh, it's Tom Vatcher. Um, so, this is, this is what we've gotten ourselves into. Tom, let me go ahead and hand you the mic now. He's going to talk for us in just a second. But um, Jonathan's whole purpose in this, you know, this, this band and the story is on from last week. If you want to know the whole background and how in the world did we get to this point, uh, you can listen to last week's message at the beginning of it. That whole story of his is on there, how we got to this point. How, you know, how in the world... That a 17-year-old get on the phone with the agent of P.O.D., this band that is enormous and is used to playing in front of crowds of 20,000 people and sold 11 million records? How in the world did this happen? Some of that is on there, and you can hear to that. But the bottom line is, is Jonathan loves music, and he, he wants some really great music to be played because then he, he really wants the gospel message of Jesus Christ to be communicated uh, in many ways, but primarily through this guy who is the co-founder of Corn. And for those of you who don't know what corn is, corn is not something you eat in this case. Uh, Corn is the name of a very, very popular band, a heavy metal band. And one of the co-founders received Christ as Savior, and his life's been radically changed. He wrote a New York Times bestseller, and he's going to be there. He's going to share what Christ has done in his life. And so Jonathan really had this passion. He really strongly felt from God, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, strongly felt from God that he wanted people who don't go to church and who would never dream of darkening the doors of church to come and hear that story. And so that's how this started. And uh, anyway, we presented that last week. Um, we got to the point Jonathan had done a lot of stuff. I got to a point a couple of weeks ago I needed to know I had to cross a line. I was very nervous about crossing that line. But I knew eventually we'd come to the point where the whole church, like this church, everybody in this room, that we'd have to carry the ball across the goal line to score a touchdown to make it happen. And been totally shocked. Uh, You guys have amazed me again. So many people, 50, 60, 70 people stepped up and are carrying. So everybody I talk to says, your lineup is, how in the world did you get those people? I said, you know, 17, there's there's no way a 17-year-old got those people to commit to him. That's the first miracle, okay, everybody? So everybody says the lineup's incredible, Now the challenge is how in the world are we going to let people know we're not, we, you know, we're who we are. We're not concert promoters. We don't have big bucks to let the whole world, all of us in this room somehow make that happen. So Tom is here with us. Tom is on loan to us from the Church of England on special on assignment. Special <laughs> And uh, he, he's got a, a passion that God just spoke to him last week. And so he stepped up. So he's going to say a few words to us this morning. Take it away, Tom Vatcher. Uh,
1: thank you very much. And happy Easter. Uh, question to you. Please just shout out the answer. Uh, what is the most famous catered for event in the history of mankind? What is the most famous Catered for then in the history of mankind. Any thoughts? Just shout it out. Uh-huh. Again right, with the royal right. wedding. Again with the royal wedding. <laughs> we were thinking, I was thinking two and, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, Last Supper and feeding of the 5,000. And it is that latter one that I want to focus on because we have the reverse issue here. We have the food. We have the fish. We have the bread. We don't have the 5,000. We need to sell 5,000 tickets between now and May 14th, Saturday. And this is where you come in by doing three things. One is that if this is a church for people who don't go to church, then this is a concert for people who don't go to concerts. So A, buy a ticket. Two, on your blue slip, if you have time, and I mean even just an hour or two in the next couple of weeks, Please, sign on that blue slip, tear it off, put it in the box over there, and let us know. Give us your email address. We have stuff for people with just an hour to spare, please. And thirdly, many of you are uh, Facebook people. Many of you have contact lists in your email. Many of you have places of work and so forth. Take a flyer outside, bang it up in your place of work, and get the word out. But the most and the first thing to do is, as I say, buy
0: a ticket thank you (laughs) okay thank you tom so tom and jonathan and megan megan are you in here megan mitchell right over there is our volunteer coordinator they're all at the table outside we have a lot of flyers and uh this has been an act of god from the beginning and we're hoping god continues to act all the way through the end of this thing we've had a lot of good stuff happen chick-fil-a jonathan went out to chick-fil-a and chantilly this is a bull run it's an outdoor concert at Bull Run, Uh, and so he went out there, and Chick-fil-A said they would um, put 5,000 flyers in all of their bags as people come through the drive-thru. That was huge. So uh, we need, like, collective wisdom and ideas here of how we can continue to get the word out, but Tom and Jonathan and Megan are all going to be at the table on the way out, and uh, there's the website you can go to, all kinds of stuff. So thank you. I'd appreciate your prayers. God bless you, and let's say thank you very much, Tom and Jonathan. Okay, all right, happy Easter. There is a very long-standing tradition in the Christian church where pastors get up on Easter Sunday and they say before their congregation, Christ is risen, and the congregation kind of thunderously responds, he is risen indeed. That all starts from a, from a legend. Many people feel, at least, it started from a legend that goes way back to the early days of the Christian church, like the first couple hundred years. A gentleman was being martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. And they led him away to the place he's being martyred. And when they got there, it was this place that was surrounded by these hills. And they said to him, do you have any last words? And he looked up his eyes into those hills, and he proclaimed in a very strong and powerful and confident voice, Christ is risen. And in those hills were Christians hiding, watching, Waiting. And when they heard him make that proclamation, you know what they all responded to in unison? He is risen indeed. Thunderously they responded. And since that time, we have traditionally in churches on Easter Sunday, we'll say, Christ is risen. And the response is, he is risen indeed. Can we join that chorus that has gone on around this world today in Christian churches and will still go on as the sun continues to move to the west? It will still happen in Christian churches, Christ is risen. I will say, Christ is risen, and you will say, he is risen indeed. Ready? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh, you sound excellent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for what this day means, that the impossible has become possible, that the inevitable has been conquered. Death no longer is victorious over us. Stuff that face us, that stresses us out, when we say there is no hope, we are now with hope. God, wherever each one of us is this morning, Whatever stresses each one of us out, God, I pray that we would find that we have conquered it through the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. In your holy name, amen. Amen. All right, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, is all about hope. What the significance is of the empty tomb is it doesn't matter what you're facing. Something as certain as what? As death. We have two certainties in life, and they are? Death and taxes, all right? Jesus actually addressed the tax situation, right? When they said, pay your taxes, and he said, Peter, go fishing and pull the coin and pay the taxes out of the fish. I wish I could pay my taxes in a similar fashion, but he addressed that one. But here, the most important one, he addresses the inevitable thing, and that is death. It's a certain thing. It's certain. Hopeless. Every single one of us throughout the history of humankind has been hopeless. Death will nail every single one of us until Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and the tomb is empty. And the communication there, God to us, is this. Whatever you think is hopeless situation in your life, you are no longer without hope. So you're here this morning. If you have a problem over money, or over a relationship, or over a health, Or are you just saying, you know what? I got these things in my life that are stressing me out and I live in Washington, D.C. And there's no way that I can live in Washington, D.C. and not have my blood pressure through the roof, not deal with all the problems the stresses and the strains of this city. There's no way I will conquer it. There's no way I will come to a place of being chillaxed. And who knows what chillaxed means? Is anybody here? Raise your hand if you know what chillaxed means. Okay, I want those of you who are completely clueless, keep your hands up, everybody. Look around those people that their hands up. Okay, you need to go to them. They're the cool Hit people who who know, you know. I had a whole lesson on chillax one day in staff meetings. What is this chillax thing? Okay, so we got phone calls this week. Why are you sending me this chillax thing from God? We had some people actually upset. What is this chillax? What is, you know? So. combination of chill and relax all together go and see the cool people they'll explain that completely to you but it just means the de-stress and this all starts the de-stressing of life starts with your relationship with god and it starts with making yourself right with god or finding peace with god which is what we want to focus on this morning so where are you without hope so here's where here's where i want to start today there there are so many things that we read about Uh, Between Thursday, between the Lord's Supper on Thursday and Resurrection Sunday. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the whole very, very long chapter is focused on one subject. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's read a few selected verses. It says Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. The scriptures said that he was was seen by Peter and by the 12 apostles. And after that, he was seen by more than five apostles. Hundred of his followers at one time. These are all white eyewitnesses, everybody. Most of whom are still alive, though some have died by now. Then he was seen by James. James who? Is that Peter, James, and John? No, different James. This is the James who is the brother, the half-brother of Jesus Christ and who was not a believer in Jesus Christ until the resurrection took place. And then he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And last of all, who was he seen by? He was seen by the apostle Paul. And you know what strikes me about this whole situation between the communion in the upper room until the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all the details that are listed before us it's overwhelming here's the thing that i notice when i'm talking to somebody about something and i'm trying to figure out are they telling me the truth you know if you're having a conversation with somebody you're trying to can i trust them is there validity here you know one of the things i always look to is details how do they handle the details because i notice when people aren't really giving me the straight scoop you know in my life here's what i notice: the details get really fuzzy or they get dropped but when a lot of details are given and they're solid and they're clear and they're confirmed, oh my goodness, then I can trust in them. I feel like that's really solid. And the thing is that we're given so many details here about Jesus Christ between what happened in communion, Lord's Supper, all the way to where he was raised from the dead. I mean, we're told this, he appears to all these people, eyewitnesses. I mean, eyewitness testimony is the most powerful testimony in a court of law. And so we're given all of these eyewitnesses. We're told that Jesus Christ... Cooked a meal. We're told that he ate a meal. He walked down the road to Emmaus and he explained the scriptures to some guys. And then later on, he broke bread. He had another breaking of bread with them, had kind of a communion meal with them. So all of these things took place. All of these details, 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 after details of what Jesus Christ has done. And those details add up. I want to go through. I just thought the other day, I said, let me just write down real quick on a piece of paper just the stuff that I can remember off of the top of my head, the details associated with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus Christ. So if you can help me out, if you have any of these answers, shout them out. Who betrayed Jesus Christ? Judas. Who names their kids Judas anymore? Anybody name a son Judas? I don't know. I've never met one Judas in my entire life. Can you believe that? Who pre- And so what was what did he portray him for? So what was the price of the do that? Does anybody know? 30 pieces of what? So, so it wasn't 25 pieces of silver. It was 30 pieces of silver. It wasn't 30 pieces of gold. It was very specific, wasn't it? 30 p very detailed 30 pieces who denied jesus christ peter. peter the leader of the disciples and how many times did he do that peter. and and he did that before who made a noise aha uh-huh. uh-huh, yeah the rooster crowed right so uh jesus christ where was he arrested garden. garden of gethsemane he was arrested what was the signal what was the sign that judas gave when you see me do this you'll know this is your guy what was it Betrayed with a kiss. Again with the details. All right, who got their ear cut off in the garden? Anybody know? Peter pulls a sword, cuts off whose ear? Malchus, Malchus, the servant of the high priest. Malchus. All right. While Jesus Christ was praying, what were the heroes? Those who had so much to do with the writing of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, who gave so much information about Jesus. The disciples. What were they doing while Jesus was praying? Sleeping. They were sleeping. You know, that's one way that my goodness, we know that we know that the Bible is really a straight shooter, right? It doesn't try, the heroes didn't try to put themselves up as these super-duper people who are just like not human and they're just perfect. No, very real, very real, because that's who we are. We're really real. We try to come off like we got it all together, right? But you and I know what the real deal is inside. We don't have it all together. We're not perfect. And so that's the way it's communicated to us in the scriptures. All right, when Jesus Christ was first arrested, who did he go to see first that very night? He went to see... Caiaphas, the high priest. The next morning he wakes up, he's taken to who? First of all, the Roman guy, what's his name? Pilate, Pilate. And somebody warned Pilate. They said, look, don't have anything to do with this man. Who did that? His wife, and why did she do it? Because she had a dream. She had a dream. Don't have anything to do with this guy. So Pilate, then he goes to Herod, and then he comes back to who? Comes back to Pilate again. And Pilate says, before the whole crowd standing in front of him, this murderous mob and he says look as our normal tradition is i'm going to release a prisoner to you and i've got jesus christ here who's innocent right and then i've got this guy over here and what's his name everybody barabbas and who did they say they wanted released barabbas and then what do they want done with jesus crucified jesus christ all these details keep adding up uh, who carried jesus's cross up to Golgotha, where he was crucified because he had bled so much he had lost his energy who did that simon simon who Simon of Cyrene, not just any Simon. I mean, we've got Simons run all over the place in Jerusalem. No, we got this guy named Simon of Cyrene. There was a sign that Pilate had put on the top of the cross. Does anybody recall what that sign said as everybody walked by and saw it? This is Jesus, king of the Jews. Which language was it written in? Three languages, Aramaic, Greek, and Latin. It says all this in the scriptures. All of these details keep adding up, and they're very significant. They mean something. There's credibility behind all of that. So Jesus Christ, was he crucified alone? Or was there other people up there with him? He was crucified what? Two thieves, right? And where was Jesus in the whole mix? He was in the middle of all of them, right? And what did the soldiers do with his clothes while Jesus hung on the cross? They gambled for his clothes. All, many of these things, these details we just went through were discussed hundreds of years, everybody, before Jesus Christ ever hung on the cross. They were prophesied in the Old Testament. And that means something. That's significant. It adds up. What time of day was Jesus Christ on Friday? Just two days ago. What time of day was Jesus Christ nailed to the cross? Who knows? What time? Anybody? It's found in Mark fifteen twenty five. It was the third hour. The third hour was nine AM. Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross at nine AM. Does anybody know what happened at noontime on that same day? At noontime that same day, three hours later. We're told in Mark fifteen thirty three that darkness covered the entire land. And then what time did Jesus Christ die? Three o'clock. Mark 15, 34 says at the ninth hour, which is three o'clock, all these details keep adding up at the ninth hour at 3 p.m., Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is quoting the 22nd Psalm. And when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. And one man ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar. He put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus, seeing all of these details coming to pass in the way that Jesus Christ dies, what does this Roman centurion say? He says, Surely this man was the Son of God. The abundance of data, credible data, detail was overwhelming that were given. And then we were giving more detail. Some women were watching. Who were the women watching? Mary Magdalene and another Mary, not just any Mary, but Mary, the mother of James. Just not any James, James, who James, the younger, a rich man comes along and says, Jesus Christ doesn't own anything, doesn't own a tomb to be buried in. I want to give my tomb for him to be buried in. Let's place him in this tomb. And his name was what? Joseph of Arimathea, not any Joseph. We got Jerusalem. Jerusalem's filled with Simons. It's filled with Josephs. This is Joseph of Arimathea. This isn't fuzzy, everybody. This is very, very clear. Now, what did Jesus Christ do from 3 p.m. on Friday when he died until sunup on Sunday when he rose the dead? What did he do? Are we given any details on that? Yes, we are. Hold that thought. I want to say something here real quick, and then have all of us do something together. so for many first the first couple hundred you know centuries of the of the church up to like the seventh century, there was this growing uh, thing that we 've come to know now is called the apostles Creed. It was twelve statements of belief. How many apostles were there? There was twelve. How many points of belief are there in the apostles creed there 's twelve so that we would know the The basics, the Bible basics of what a believer who believes in Jesus Christ, here's what they believe. in. it's an easy way to remember. So I would like us to do that today. So we're going to have it put behind us. We're going to go through these 12. So if you will say them with me, here is the Bible basics of what a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ believes from the Bible. All right, let's try it. If you'll say with me, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, ...and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He had descended into Hades, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, amen. Okay, excellent. What did Jesus Christ do from 3 p.m. on Friday until sunup on Sunday? What did he do? Does anybody know? Do you know the Bible gives us details about that as well? This whole story of the life of Christ, particularly from the time he celebrated communion until the time he was crucified, to the time he rose from the dead, until the time he ascended to heaven, we're given a tremendous amount of details. What did he do? Well, we know that he did not go to heaven. We know between 3 p.m. Friday and sun up on Sunday Easter Sunday today that Jesus Christ did not go to heaven. He says that to Mary. John 20 verse 17. She can't believe it. He's out of the tomb. He's overcome death. She's like, "Oh, I can't believe this. This is incredible." And she's hanging on him and he says, "Mary, listen, don't hold on to me. I can't stay because I haven't yet returned to the Father yet. I haven't gone to the Father. Where's the Father? Father's in heaven. I've been to heaven. Yet. Where have you been, Jesus?" First Peter 3:18 and 19 tells us. It says that he went and preached To the prisoners in prison. Who's the prisoners in prison? Hades. Jesus Christ went to Hades. That was the prison. It's death. It's the place that every single person would go, bound by death. It's inevitable. Everybody is going to die. And we're told in Isaiah chapter 61 prophesied about the messiah that he would proclaim freedom for the prisoners and in luke chapter 4 when jesus christ begins his whole ministry he stands up in the synagogue in nazareth and what does he say he quotes isaiah 61 he says i have been sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and he says this has been fulfilled today in your hearing and we're told in matthew we're told that when jesus christ rose from the dead that when he rose from the dead that some holy people some holy people who were followers of God, people who had faith in God, that they too came out of their tombs and they walked into Jerusalem and they gave testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had been in Hades, not hell. Hell and Hades are not the same thing. Don't get them mixed, because sometimes we mix them around, okay? He went to the place of the dead and he proclaimed freedom over this thing that's inevitable for all of us, and that is death. And that's what Jesus Christ did. In Revelation chapter 1, verse number 18, Jesus says these words. He says, I hold the keys to death and Hades. If you want more on that, we did a whole series last year, Easter last year. We covered all this in heaven and hell and the study of that. If you would like to take a look at that, I know I did that briefly. All right. Well, here's one I want to tell you this morning. I recently had an MRI. Uh, I was having a problem with my back, and the doctor sent me to go get an MRI. Okay. And what's the question that they ask you when they say, hey, we want you to get MRI? What's the question? Anybody know? What's the immediate question? Are you claustrophobic? Are you claustrophobic? I'm not claustrophobic, so what did I say? No, I'm not claustrophobic. What are you talking about? I'm not claustrophobic. I'm good. So I go in there. And uh, walk in there. I wasn't really paying a whole lot of attention. I saw the big machine there, but I didn't, really, I, I didn't really look at it, you know, anything. So the guy just said, hey, get up on the table. And so I get on this table. It's actually like a little conveyor belt. And so I lay down on the table, and the machine's behind me. And, and so I'm going to go in head first, and I'm looking back this way. And it raises up. And it stops. And then, like the conveyor belt, it's just like, and we're going in. I'm going in back. And I'm just there hanging out, you know. They said just try to stay still. I said okay, no problem. And so by the time that my body was fully enclosed in that little tomb, <laughs> I, I discovered something about myself. I'm claustrophobic. <laughs> this is self-discovery is an amazing thing. I had no idea until that moment that I was claustrophobic. It was a wonderful thing. I wanted. I was. I was so tempted. I mean, like. Freaking out, talking about stress. There was no chillax going on in that little tomb there. I wanted to say, let me out of here. You know, I just wanted to scream, just you know, stop this thing, right? But, you know, it just kept moving. And so I closed my eyes, and that little conveyor belt just kept going and going, going and going. And once they got me about three or four miles inside <laughs> of that little tomb, finally it came to a stop. Now, here's the thing that I do. When I'm freaked out like that, when I'm under stress and I'm fearful and I'm doubting or I'm skeptical or I'm just ready to explode, you know what I do? I carefully review the facts. I carefully go over details to get my, this can't be an emotional thing, right? This needs to be a logical thing. It's got to be very logical because if I operate on emotions, well, then I'm going to embarrass myself in front of all these people. I'm going to go yelling and screaming down the hallway and they're going to say, here goes that crazy nut who freaked out in the MRI. I didn't want to do it. So I pulled myself together and said, think, John. Think. So I began to think a little bit. And here's some of the things that I thought about as I laid inside of that little tomb. First of all, I said to myself, what are the facts? You know, I said, you know what? I can't be three or four miles inside of this machine. I refuse to open my eyes. I can't be three or four miles inside of it because I've seen the building. And I know the exterior walls. I know that the building does not go, the, you know, the walls don't go three or four miles. There's, I saw, actually, I saw the outside of the building, so I know it has to come to a stop. And then I also said that I have never once, I really I have never, i just, my mind is just whirling. I have never once heard about a story about somebody being lost inside of an MRI machine. I, I heard about people freaking out, but I'd never heard about somebody being lost. Like, you know, hey, we put him in the machine. I don't know what happened to him. He's gone. He's gone. It's like Jesus in the empty tomb. He's gone. I never heard about somebody getting stuck, about somebody getting lost. I never heard about somebody like, they put them inside the machine, and, and then they took off for the weekend, they forgot about them, and they came back on a Monday morning, and lo and behold, there's this poor guy in there, you know, just just whatever, okay? I'd never heard about all of that. Now, they're talking to me because they've got this little speaker system inside of there that, you know, they can talk to you, you can talk back, and they just keep saying, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was just saying, yeah, I'm fine. I lied to them. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> what makes you think I'm not okay? I'm fine. All right, they're talking. I know that they haven't given up on the whole thing because I can hear the machine running and it runs a boom, 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 boom. If you've ever been in an MRI, it just makes all this, like a big washing machine and you're right in the middle of the, you know, whatever agitation cycle, of that whole thing. I know that that's, all that is going on, okay? Now, here's the other thing I knew. I knew that if I could get past all of this emotion and fear that I was feeling, I really needed a nap. I really, it would be helpful if I could just totally chillax and go to sleep. And I kept focusing on the facts. I kept focusing on the details of all this and all that I knew. And eventually I got to myself to a place where I was totally calm and I fell asleep. How we get to a place of being right with God is we look at the information. It's logical. We look at the details that are given to us from a very, very credible source, and they add up and they add up and they add up, and they're so overwhelming. There's such an abundance of details. We say, you know what? I can put my faith in this. I can believe in this. You see, the thing in our lives, the needing to relax in a city filled with stress and all the stuff that you and I deal with, that where it all begins, whatever your stress is, whether it's money or it's health or it's your kids or it's your job, whatever it might be, all of this stuff begins with your relationship with God. That's what the Bible says. That if you'll start there with making peace with God, if you'll start there with finding peace with God, if you'll do that first, then you begin to move from that place onward. That's where it begins. So the question is, have you made peace with God? Have you found peace with God? So I'm going to give you one point, and Chris Wilcox is going to come up here and talk to us this morning because he had said something happened to him recently about this whole deal that has really helped, and we thought it would be good for him to share with you. But here's your fill-in-the-blank, if you'll put this down. There is nothing for you to do. This is really important. There is nothing for you to do. Look what it says. Romans chapter 10 this is an excellent chapter in the Bible. For Moses wrote that the law's ways of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands you've got to follow 280 AT everything that is written in this book. James 2.10 says that if you follow every command written in this book, but you stumble just on one, even on a tiny one, then you've blown it on the whole thing. Now that's pretty depressing because how many of us can actually do every single thing that is written in this book every single day of our lives? It's an impossibility. And the Bible actually tells us it's an impossibility. So we've got a problem right there. Now look what else It says, it's Verse number six, but the way of getting right with God, all right, the way of getting right with God, everybody, finding peace with God through faith says this, you don't need to go up to heaven to find Christ and bring him down. And it says, you don't need to go down to the place of the dead to bring him up. What's it trying to say to no, us? It says, you don't need to go to extraordinary measures. Some of us try to go, and this is what Chris is going to talk to us about. We try to go extraordinary. You know, I got to find peace with God, man. I got to find that feeling. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a pray every day, or maybe I'm a, I'm going to fast a couple times a week. I'm going to, I'm going to go to church. I'm gonna go to church on Easter. My goodness, I know I'm going to get peace with God because I'm going to go to church on Easter and then I'm just going to feel good all over. And I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve in the nursery. Like I'm going to clean diapers for Jesus Christ, right? And then I'm going to feel it and I'm going to stress. I'm going to strain. I'm going to serve and I'm going to do devotion. I'm going to read. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do all this stuff. And boy, I'm going to have peace. I'm going to work so hard that I'm going to have peace. It's going to fill and flood my body. And the Bible says you can't get peace with God that way. You know, the deal is, is you don't have to be here today. You don't even have to come to church on Easter to find peace with God. It's found a whole other way. So Chris is going to talk to us and then I'll close it out. So everybody, welcome. Chris (laughs) Wilcox. There you go, my man.
2: My testimony doesn't have any uh, rock-bottom life experience, so just get that out of the way, so sorry about that. I uh, grew up in a Christian family and my entire life, my walk with God kind of ebbed and flowed back and forth. And the times I wasn't active with God, my uh, the temptations of the world, you know, I, I tried a lot of them. And not all of them, but I tried a lot of them. And one thing that was cool was no matter when I was the farthest away from God and I needed him the most, it seems like he would gently be there knocking at my door. And that was a very cool thing. But the point of my testimony isn't about the times I wasn't, Walking with God. The problem I had in my relationship with God was at times I was walking with Him because I always lacked a sense of purpose. You know, I uh, I was continually praying to find that purpose so I could get a feeling that I'd finally made it as a Christian. I struggled with feeling unworthy because somehow I had this mistaken idea that I'd created myself that there was a certain way it would feel like to be a Christian. They often say that faith is a gift, right? Well, I just never seem to have that gift. And so I was working on, I was working, trying to find a way to get that gift of faith. And I was doing a lot of things. I'd been reading the Bible every day for years. I prayed every day. I was uh, doing the greeting thing out front of the church. I was in a small group here at the church. I was even going to the Arlington Food Assistance Center every Friday to help out so God would give me faith. It got so bad that one day I actually prayed. I said, Dear God, look at all the things I'm doing for you. Would you please just bless me so I know I'm on the right track? A few days after I said that prayer, I started to realize that that probably wasn't such a good thing to do because the Bible says that salvation cannot be earned by works alone. And I knew I didn't have the feeling and I couldn't get there by works, so I was in trouble. I was in trouble. So I went to see Pastor John. And he talked to me quite a bit about grace and and God's love for me. And he told me, he said, Chris, what you're trying to do is you're trying to earn God's love, and you can't do that, my man. I kind of looked at him, and he said, no, you can't do that, Chris, because you already have it. That started to make some sense to me, but I needed a little bit more to kind of solidify what was going on with that. So I asked him if he could recommend some scripture or possibly a book that I could read on God's grace, and he recommended a book. The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan, Brennan. Uh, well, anyway, Ragamuffin Gospel, <laughs> Manning, Brennan Manning, and uh, I got to tell you, that book really made a change in my life. I took it to my small group at church, that meets at church, and uh, we did a book discussion on it. And through the help of those friends. I learned two things that have really turned my life around with Christ. The first thing came right out of the text of the book itself. It says, The greatest honor you can give Almighty God is to live gladly in the knowledge of his love. Man, when I read that, I had a physical reaction to it. a sense of peace washed over me, and I had one of those those shivers that just kind of went up my spine. You know how have you ever had that feeling where you feel like God put his hand on you? It's amazing. I didn't want that to end. The second thing I learned through my small group, was that when Christ died on the cross for our sins, he didn't die for all the sins we'd already committed only. He also died for all the sins we would ever commit in the future. I'd never thought about God's grace like that before. God had died for all the sins I'd ever commit in the future? I could run with that. But not in the way you think. Not in the way you think. Romans 3.23 says, All sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? So what that meant was God knew I wasn't perfect, and he didn't expect me to be perfect. That was so cool for me. That was liberating because I was always struggling with feeling worthy, right? I had spent 40 years of my life thinking there were things I could do or should do to get right with God. I was trying to get that feeling that I had made it as a Christian. It's just making things too hard for myself. Because all I really had to do was talk with God, spend time with Him, and understand that He loved me. I finally now have that sense of peace and that sense of purpose because when I turned my life over to Christ, I realized that He could use me at any time with any person I meet, with any gesture I make, with any greeting I do out front. He's free to use me at any time. And so that's my purpose. And now I think I finally know what it feels like to be a Christian. Thanks for your time, you guys.
0: If you're working hard to make yourself right with God, then you haven't experienced the grace of God yet. I mean, if that's, if, if that's the way you're going about this, because the Bible says that's not the way to find peace or to find ourselves being right with God. We have to allow the grace of God. You know, Chris talks about that kind of up and down, ebb and flow, back and forth It was happening in his life. That happens a lot when we have not experienced the grace of God. If, if you're more concerned about the punishment of God, the fear of God, the wrath of God, the, the, the grace of God has not invaded your life. You know, Following what is here in the Bible, you know, once you've experienced the grace of God, is not done out of fear. Like I don't do all the thou shalt nots or whatever because out of fear. I do them, not because I have to anymore. I do them because I'm honored to, because I'm blown away by the incredible love and grace of God. And that is there right before us right now. There's nothing for us to work. Well, you know, I'll get it when I do X, Y, and Z. It's not it. So here's the next thing I want you to write down, and then we'll conclude, okay? There is something for you to believe and confess. So there's nothing for you to do, but there is something for you to believe and to confess. And the Bible is really clear with this. Again, in Romans chapter 10, it goes on and says this. Salvation that comes from trusting Christ, which is the message that we preach is already within easy reach. It's already it's right there. It's sitting right there before you. There's nothing for you to do. The peace with God is right there in your seats like a gift being extended to you this morning. The Scripture says, in fact, the Scriptures say this, the message is close at hand. It is on your lips and it is in your heart. And then here it comes, everybody. Here's what, here's, here's what the gift is and all we have to do is receive this to believe it, to confess it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When it says you will be saved, it means you will find peace with God. If you can do that, if you've never done that before, here's where, here's where chillaxing begins. Here's where getting right with God begins. Here's where finding peace with God begins. It begins right here. It's a confession right there in your seats, just you and God. Jesus Christ is Lord, and it's the belief after all the details that God gives us, after all the credibility. I mean, this Bible from a piece of ancient literature is so incredibly credible, it's beyond measure. And once you put all those facts together, logic tells you that you can fully then believe that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. So when you confess with your lips and then you put your belief, yes, I believe, then you will find. with God. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. If you'll let me know that you've done that, I will pray for you. I'll pray for you all the way. I'll pray with you here. I'll pray with you just in the office. However, you want to visit the prayer team over here, please do that. You want to fill out your connect card and just say, hey, John, I made that commitment today. I confess that it'd be an honor for me to pray with you. I really encourage you to do that. The rest of you here this morning, you've done that. You say, "Hey man, I've been in church all my life. I did that when I was 12 years old, and I'm about as stressed out as it can come." You know what I'm saying? I mean, I did that. Why am I still so stressed? I'm probably the I'm probably the worst person in the world. I'm not the person to stand up here and talk about peaceful living. All right, let's just get really clear because I just live in a stress zone and I don't handle it very well. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes because I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and I believe He's been raised from the dead. So how 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 come I'm not chillaxing? Well. Um, here's, here's how it hits me. I want to go back to this whole concert thing that my son's doing, which is like totally wigging me out and I'm waking up in the middle of the night. I haven't slept in weeks. I haven't slept like, I can't get a good night's sleep. I don't care how tired I am, you know. I'm waking up in the middle of the night, three o'clock, I'm waking up at six in the morning. It's absolutely unbelievable. Here's how it goes. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You have to begin your day And all throughout your day, urgently, fervently praying, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to dictate my life, what I do every day, every decision. I want to be right in the center of you. So I want you to be the Lord of my life. And so that's the way I attack this thing. When I realized this was going on with this concert about four or five weeks ago, I just said, oh, God, please be the Lord. Show me what you want me to do here. And I was fully prepared for God to say, John. This is crazy. Don't do it, all right? Don't be an idiot. Don't sign those contracts. Don't move forward the concert. And then what happened? I kept saying, God, I want you to be the Lord. And God kept showing me sign after sign from the most unlikely people and the most unlikely places and the most unlikely circumstances after this example after example after example that God was saying, I want you to do this thing. I want you to do this thing. So, so now we've done it, and now we're moving forward. Now what? Well, here's the thing about the raising, about the believing that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. So when I spend my days, right, what am I focused on? I'm like over here like, oh, how are we going to do this huge thing with this concert? This is never going to work. The sky is falling. I'm freaked out about it. You know what I'm looking at? I'm looking at the concert. But when I come over here and I say that tomb is empty, this, this is a God who does the impossible that there's nothing too difficult for God to do. When I get focused on that, I'm immediately at peace. Look, everybody, I'm telling you right now, I could right now in front of you right now just totally freak out about what's on top of me when I think about the concert over here. But when I step over here and I say that tomb is empty and we're talking about a God who overcame death and nothing is impossible, I don't care what you're facing. When you look at a God who's able to do the impossible, all of a sudden you chillax You relax, you chill out because God is bigger than any problem you or I have. He's bigger than this thing that is on me right now. So that's how it comes into play for us. Part of my problem is as I'm over here looking at this concert that I think is so big when over here, God is awesome. He's mighty, he's all powerful to overcome even death. If you and I will do those same things with God, if we'll focus on the fact that he has risen from the dead and overcome death, and he is the Lord of our lives, we'll find ourselves chillaxing just a little bit more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, so much for your word, and I thank you for what this day means. God, all of us in this room, we're all facing something. We got something giant, but we're facing something that says, you know what, you need to get totally stressed out about it. But Father, you come to us and you say this, I overcame death, what more can I do? Nothing is impossible for me. So, God, I want to pray for the person here this morning, the person who needs to confess you as Lord and believe in their heart, fully believe that, Jesus, you've been raised from the dead. I pray they would cross that line of faith and make their peace with you. I pray for the rest of us in this room. I pray, God, for those of us who are stressed out, living in a stressful city, that, God, we would focus on you and not our problems. We'd focus on you, almighty, all-powerful, able to conquer death. God, that we would find our peace in you as we proclaim you, Lord, over our lives. And we experience peace, not stress, in Jesus' name. Amen.